every week someone died mm-hmm. and you're like there are more tears mm-hmm. you're like you're still crying i'm still there's lorna my friend lorna mm-hmm. there's, there's lynn there's every auntie hope baba i'm like there's still more there was still more I'm like can this shit end you know, I told someone, Shukisha, me, I've had it. Mm. You know, my money's over. Mm. <laughs> and they're like, no, we're still going on. But in an earth, I learned that the heart is capable of so much love. You know, even, and there's room for everyone in that. It has a, a depth of love that I never imagined could exist. Because it's like everyone had a little had, had a little piece of my heart. Mm. And that heart got, get, 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 oh, um, was getting picked at every mm. time and there's, there's, a, there's a hole there but you do heal but there's something else here but the human heart is beautiful mm. Salam and hello everyone my name is Lily Bakala Piper and as always I am so glad that you've tuned in today today on the show I am honored to have Kevin Marchero join me I've been thinking about how to introduce him, and it's actually quite difficult because Kevin wears many, many hats and is a multi-talented and gifted writer. You may know him from many different spaces, and let me just try to tell you a little bit about his work and his life. He is a writer, a podcaster, a journalist, and a queer activist. His professional media and communications career has spanned two decades. But if you know Kevin and you know his writing, probably what you feel about him is immense respect, gratitude, and probably like he's a friend. He writes in a way that draws you in. He invites you to ask questions. He invites you to examine your place in the landscape of Kenya or Africa or the communities in which you sit. He asks you to look around and think about who's sitting with you and who might be missing. He asks you to be grateful. He asks you to extend love and acceptance and inclusivity to those around you. And the reason he asks you those questions is because those are the questions that have defined and moved his life. As a journalist, he considers himself a custodian of other people's stories. And he's done that in many ways and on many platforms. He's been a journalist for the BBC. He has been a writer of his own personal blog. Um, You can find his work on Medium and different other platforms. He's also the author of the book Invisible, Stories from Kenya's Queer Community, as well as a part of the editorial team for Boldly Queer, African Perspectives on Same-Sex Sexuality and Gender Diversity. And his most recent work of fiction is the short story Number Sita, published in the anthology Nairobi Noir. But Kevin's questions and Kevin's writing also are championing the LGBTQI community here in Kenya and championing each and every one of us who live and work in these spaces. His work doesn't just touch you if you are a member of the queer community. It touches you if you're a human being existing in a space where you want to be more free. A few years ago, Kevin was also diagnosed with cancer, which he considers an opportunity to find a new voice and to raise awareness about multiple myeloma. 
Um, as I said at the beginning, Kevin's writing is just an invitation. It's an invitation to a conversation. And I couldn't be more delighted that he decided to join us today to have a conversation about all these things and many more. We dive deep, we laugh, we listen, we learn, we cry a bit. Um, but I just couldn't be more delighted to have spent the hour with Kevin learning and having my elevate my thinking elevated and my heart opened. And I think you'll feel the same. So Kevin Karibusana. Asante. So glad to have you here. Salam. Yeah. <laughs> Salam and hello. <laughs> so Kevin, let's start with something easy. You just turned 50. Happy birthday. Asante Sana. Thank you very much. <laughs> So as you kind of hit this milestone birthday, um, I'm sure it must have been a moment for reflection for you. Um, and for those of you people who don't know maybe your life story, just kind of give us a brief introduction to what you've been doing these last few decades. Wow. Um, <laughs> um, I was born and born in Nairobi. I spent most of my adult life here. Um, I tell people I'm a storyteller. Um, I love radio. Passion radio has always been a passion for me. Um, I, keep, I keep on telling people it's radio. It's been Africa. Um, it's been it's been just looking after myself. It's been journalism mm -hmm. along the way, um, and then also the sense of justice. So all that, and and I want to use that as a storyteller. All those things as a storyteller um, make me, you know, and tell and and that. Um, Oh, I'm sorry, my, my brain's all over. Mm -hmm. All those things are things that are important to me. Mm -hmm. And I think for me, um, I use media as my platform yeah. to, to, like, um, to talk about all those, the things that are important. Because I think we live in a beautiful continent. So Kevin, Kevin has grown as an individual, as a media person. I worked at the BBC um, as a radio journalist and moved into uh, being a broadcast journalist. And then I think dived into, into writing. And then I think, like you said, with the cancer, I found my voice. Mm. You know, mm. um, cancer gave me a voice. It gave me, it made me bolder. I recognized that I only have this life to live, and I'm just gonna live it in the best way possible that I can. Um, and Kevin Mochiri is one grateful African mm. I love who that. is just honored to live on this continent and its beauty. It frustrates me sometimes, but I'm glad to call Africa Mama. Oh, well, I'm glad that she, you, we share the same mom then. Yeah. <laughs> so I'll consider you my brother. Awesome. <laughs> so, you know, when you hit a milestone like 50, you must, you know, look back, reflect. What were the dreams maybe you had growing up and, and at 50, have they come to be? I think that is hard for me because I, 50 just felt so far. Um, and I just think it's since I turned since I got diagnosed with cancer, every birthday has matters. Every single birthday matters. It's like saying, I got to see another one. I got to see another one. Yeah. So I'm really grateful, you know, and I've seen friends who've turned 50 and they're living their lives to the fullest. And it doesn't end, it just, it, it gets better. And I hope, because I've seen it through my friends and I know it gets better. I want it to get better and it will mm -hmm. get better. It's me being a lot more authentic in, in my life. It's me just, it's me being a lot more vulnerable. Mm. It's me being the individual I was created to be. That's what being 50 is. And there's a lot of gratitude honoring my journey from the last 50 and, and then looking forward and telling people there's still so much more for me. I feel there's so still so much more for me to do. I've, it's weird. I, I, and I'm, I'm now 50. I feel like I'm only just starting. Mm. 
you know i'm only just starting um and it's a pre and also an appreciation of what i have achieved over the last few years but also just really it's been a journey to be honest lily just being really appreciative of the person that i am and what i've achieved and what i've been blessed with yeah. you know um there have been scars along the way but there's a lot of gratitude i've grown my once upon a time i wanted to be a flight attendant <laughs> that didn't happen you know i worked with the revenue authority i'd never really thought of where i'd be at 50 you know i just i've learned just to be present yeah you know and the fact that i know i if 55 you know i could be something else sure. but i i think for me i'm just really happy that i'm doing the work that i do is mostly centered on the continent you know telling the the world about our literature i'm passionate about just framing how we are seen globally and even more so to us like even with nipe's story my primary audience is africans absolutely you know and i think we just need to be telling each other stories a lot more and i'm just grateful that you know you you figure this is what i was going to do and then you get sidetracked you know and i think the cancer sort of the universe is just like ah you think you're going to do this let me just throw this at you <laughs> yeah. and and then it's just but it's opened a whole new world for me i don't know what my my dream i thought i'd still be a journalist to be to be honest um going across the world or doing stories hard news but i'm just grateful that along the way i found my voice yeah and i think that's what getting to this point is being able to find my voice and still growing in that voice you know when when i'm listening to you i i'm not far behind you okay. i have a birthday coming up but not 50 <laughs> still on the fourth floor but what you say two things come to mind one i just want to say to you what tony morrison said you are your own best thing mm. i think it's tony morrison i'm okay. pretty sure i just want to say that to you you are your own best thing everything you're saying about the reflection you've had about past you want to go but the deep gratitude you feel for just who you are that is a lesson that we all need so thank you for that i That's think fun. it's just a valuable it's like i just want to hear that echo in my own mind and heart um and you know as much as you may not be a journalist in the way you thought you're very much still a storyteller and you've used that storytelling on so many platforms nipe story which you've will definitely talk about in in a moment in a more depth that storytelling has been a conduit for human rights abuses you have traveled to we were just talking before the show started all, all over the continent to Ethiopia to you know to all parts of the globe I, i can't even start to name them and given a platform for many different audiences and your storytelling has been a platform for your own story um you're a queer activist and you have done that with the eloquence and the grace that it, it must require in the context that we're in in this mama africa <laughs> that we are in So I hope there will become a day where people don't have to tell a coming out story and that we can all just be. But till then, Kevin, would you tell us your coming out story? Sure, sure. Um I think I knew I was gay from a very young age. I think I goes back to when I was 11. You know, um I knew there was something different. In in you start noticing guys different like okay <laughs> but it didn't take until you know when you go through get to school teenagehood guys are chasing after chicks you're really not interested and you know like I'd rather be chasing after guys <laughs> you know but you have no one to tell sure 
you know, and I lost my virginity when I was 16, but I was so, I was happy, but immediately shame kicked in. Hmm. I remember I was like, I'm never going to do this again, never. But during the act, I was really happy. I'm like, this is what I wanted. But immediately shame kicked in. I remember going home and just scrubbing myself, you know, mm. with my loafer, wanting to get these feelings off me. Yeah, I've never said that. Mm. So I've shared that, you know, I just wanted it and, and, and I prayed and like, this was the worst thing ever. Mm. I don't know where the shame came in or but it came with a bang. Mm. And then just hid that aspect of me for very many years. You know, I went to a Christian university. Um, I became a, a Christian along the way. Um, you know, I, I wrote to all these... Um, ex-gay ministries in the states you know this was writing letters to them please send me material i don't want to be gay your conversion therapy kind of thing and get that and i read that i bought the books you know because i was ashamed of who i am and what i felt and i had never told anyone about this um then maybe later on as an adult no i'm jumping so there was there was just that just so i sort of grew up within the church and just used that. Then came out to one of the pastors within the church, who was very supportive. He also apparently is an American guy. He he, he was very understanding um, of, my, of my journey because he also had a gay brother and they mm. had an estranged relationship. Mm. But he was able to tell me, you're, you're okay. You know, it was our little secret, you know. And then along the way, I think I was working at KISS and there's someone who walked in and, I just flipped for them. And that had never happened to me before. And I was like, kiddo, I think 28. I'm like, oh, wow. You're 28. Yeah. Wow. I'm like, this is what my friends have been feeling towards chicks. Wow. And then I sat there sitting one time at my desk or workstation. I'm like, so no one has taught me this thing. This thing is, this person walked in and I liked them. Yeah. No one has taught me this. So where, where is this thing from? It has, it has come from my heart. So I started questioning this giddy feeling, this feeling when this person walks in, this guy when walks in, how is that a bad feeling? And I'm happy. Mm. And I made my peace then and then, you know, and I'm happy. I don't know if I don't know where these feelings have come from, but they've come from a good place. So I remember asking myself, how can something so good then be a bad thing? But over the years, I went to the UK for my master's. I struggled with it. I lived a double life, you know, um, still involved with the church. But it was, I was torn, you know, I say church person by day, but I was in the clubs in the evening and everything. But it came to a point, Lily, where I just, I briefly entertained suicide because I'm like, it was just too hard. And I remember sitting on the beaches of, of, of Bournemouth, which is in the south of England where I was studying, and I was like speaking to God and, and and saying this, take this thing away, or I'm just gonna end it. And a little voice I remember telling me, that is all. You want to take your life because of this one thing. Come on. Just one thing, really. Change it for me. You know, and, and being in the church setting at that time, that was all. And I asked myself, so this is the one thing that you want to waste, you want to end your life for. And I made my peace with it. And I think over time, and I think this one thing is not a bad thing. It is a beautiful thing because it is a gift. 
And I think that is why I hope I'm not jumping the gun. That's why I think my activism is important because this is who we are. And I keep on telling people we are enough. We, and I use, it's a, it's a biblical phrase, we are beautifully and wonderfully made. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and to tell people that is who you are. And this is, and this is the person that I was created to be. And then from then on, um, came back to Kenya and slowly started just, I was not going back into the closet. I'm like, if you know, you know. Come and imbaya and imbaya, as we say in Kiswahili. If it's bad, it's bad. Mm. Um, but I was not going to hide who I was as a person. So came out to my family, came out to my friends. And then I happened to work in spaces where um, that were fairly open and liberal, you know. And then when I was 16, walking along Kenyatta Avenue, trying to get a hookup, I didn't know anyone who's gay, but now fast track to now, almost 16 years later, finding family, finding other other gay men. I'm like, oh, wow, there's so many of us. We are here. I knew I'm good. Yeah. I'm good. I'm good. And 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 that's, that's basically the journey, you know? Mm. And I think for me, the coming out is not just telling, coming out to yourself and coming out to people. It's just coming out to, to love who I am. I think recognizing this is the person I was created to be and I'm beautiful and I'm enough. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Cause I think there's so many things about who we are. Um, you know, I think there's so many things striking about what you said. First of all, that somebody who is straight never has to have that journey. They don't have to have this soul searching and this coming out and this conversation with people they love. There's no sitting down of parents. There's just, Everything in your world affirms you and gives you this message. And in fact, you know, reinforces everything. Um, and the fact that you found this path, I'm struck by the people you met along the way, the pastor, you know, in going to school, the voice within yourself. Um, you've talked about being a church boy in the past. Is that still a way that you would call yourself? Where Where are you now in that? journey not in the church for sure <laughs> <laughs> well you know i always say if i don't mind interrupting you is that god says the church is us that we you know we it's not a building mm -hmm. or a place mm -hmm. anymore but you, you carry on the question it's, is it's for interesting you. you say that because yesterday i found an email address an, an old email rather that i'd written to one of the church pastors who helped me when i was in the uk mm. and still saying when i got back to kenya i found that church an unsafe place yeah yeah you know, I used to attend the church. I was accepted as, as a queer, as a gay man within the church in the UK. But I came back to Kenya and it just felt unsafe. There yeah. were so many black and whites. It was either this yeah. or that. I'm like, man, life is not like that. Right, right. There are so many grays yes. in between. And this was a charismatic church I used to go to. And, you know, you go there, everyone's like, touch your neighbor. I remember looking at the lady sitting next to me like, don't you dare. <laughs> and I think I had had a particularly hard week. And, and the, everyone's like, like hunky-dory, life is good. I'm like, you have no effing clue about how difficult this week was. We're struggling with being in Kenya. It's like, no. And I just realized it felt like magic being in them. Like, life is not like this. And I figured there are just too many grays in between. And there's no room for people who are caught up in that gray space. I walked out. And I figured that's it. Never doing Sunday church again. You know? Um... I'm, I respect, 
I respect people's spiritualities, and I more, I so I more, I more, I focus more so on faith. Yeah. The word I like using is faith. Yeah. What is your journey of faith? If you're a yeah. person of faith, yeah. you do you, boo boo. You know, I like now during the month of Ramadan, I will wish everybody a Ramadan Karim. Mm. I will honor that for people. If it's yeah. Christmas, I'll, I'll wish you Christmas. Yeah. But that is your journey. Yeah. I've become in recent years. I've becoming. I've become slightly more spiritual now. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and also having been exposed to so many different asp- different faiths. I remember when I went to India for my 40th, we went to the Golden Temple in Amritsar, mm. you know, and just sitting around um, all the members of the Sikh community and just seeing them in, in their space of worship and being welcomed. You know, this is in India. I think I was the only black person among <laughs> thousands of people, yeah. but didn't feel threatened going to the Taj Mahal, going to the biggest mosque in in Delhi, you know, and even going to the Buddhist area in Delhi. And then you're like, this is faith. And then even now with the disease, when someone says they're going to pray for you, I'm not going to say, are you a Christian? Sure. Yeah. (laughs) If only Christian prayers welcome me. I'm like, no, that is the faith. And those are people who genuinely wished me well, wished me healing. Who am I to say that their faith doesn't count? Yeah. Whether someone believes in anime is, is animist or believes in, in nature, yeah, is animist. I'm like, who am I to judge you, sure. bruh? Yeah. And going back to that whole thing, once I think for me, the bedrock of, of my faith is humanity. Mm-hmm. I'll use the Swahili word, Utu, Ubuntu, humanness. Yeah. Going back to that phrase, we were all made in the image of God. That's that's in the Bible. Mm. So, and I think that's the thing that has really helped me to really, all of us mm. were made in the image of God mm. or the creator or the mm. source, however, mm. such mm. that when you really take that apart, I would see God in you. Yeah. I would see God in you. I would see God in everyone yeah. and their reflection of God. Mm. So who am I to think that I'm better off? And mm. that, that has really grounded me, you know, and even when I was within the church, that's the one thing I, I, that held, I'm like, who am I to judge someone else? Hmm. Because if we're all made in that image of God, that person is God. Yeah. That yeah. other person is God. Yeah. That then they see my and just the same way. I I they see God in me. Mm. And I think mm. that's the beauty of it. Mm. Yeah. You know, you you said something a moment ago about safety. And I think that's so important because I think if we can embrace faith and embrace God, I think to me, the overriding message of my faith is that all are welcome, you know, and that God is like, you know, for me, what I always, I tell my kids and raising them, you know, faith is a complex thing and you're going to have to wrestle with God yourself. I can tell you what I believe, but at the end of the day, you have to wrestle yourself. But I know one thing is that it's love God and love your neighbor and all are welcome. The table is long and the doors are open, you know, um, so I want to sit with that idea of safety because at some point for you, you also, you know, being gay in Kenya and being gay in Africa is one thing, but then to then decide you're going to be an activist, Kevin, that is like another level because it's talk about vulnerability and safety. Now you decide to, um, it's like an equity you have, a, a money, a commodity you mm-hmm. have was your own safety. And you decide to spend that commodity for the sake of others as an activist. So God bless you for that, number one. Thank you. Thank you. Um, even though I myself am not queer, your activism benefits me as a woman, um, as the many other roles I play. So tell me what for you was the deciding point that I'm actually going to now raise my voice as an activist. 
I don't think there was, I think there were several points, but also I like what you said, space at the table. There's always, and I keep on saying, we have to keep on creating space for everyone at the table. And everyone should come in like with a potluck. That's how I look at it. I like that. Karibu, you come with a dish. And if it's something I don't like, let me try it. I don't. Maybe there's someone else on the other side of the table who like who likes it. That's how I look at my activism. We have to continue. We have to continue creating space for everyone until everybody is at the table and everybody can come with their dish. Mm. And let's share. If you don't like it, sour, pass it on to the next person. And if there's if the seats aren't enough, either we share or we get a bench. We realize that the seats aren't working. Let's get a bench and let's just mm. bunch up together a little bit more. And I really like what you said. And I think that for me was it, you know, creating space for everyone at the table. And I still think that mm. that is, I continue with that. And it was really cool yeah. to use that analogy. I don't, um, when I worked at the BBC, I realized I'd been given an opportunity. Um, I keep on saying during, as a journalist, I was a custodian of people's stories. Yeah. You know, those stories were not mine. The journalist I became was thanks to the people I interviewed who trusted me with their stories. And I'm really grateful for them. I remember it was it was soft activism. If you if there's a story on a rape survivor, it was making sure that it was not my words that were telling her story, uh, their story. It was their words. So I remember just making sure my questions were shorter and just giving them enough time to speak. Yeah. So I used my media um, the opportunity, well, yeah, my media skills, my my journalism skills to be soft activism initially. Yeah. Um, when I joined, no one was interested in touching LGBTQ stories. The other journalists like, uh-uh. <laughs> so I figured hmm, I can at least now present queer stories in an objective way to the continent, not just to Kenya. And this was for programs like um, Network Africa that's no longer there for Focus on Africa. And I was given an opportunity to represent my people mm. in an objective way, in a rich way. Mm. So it started like that. Yeah. And then um, I think around 20, is it 2011? Yeah, I think it was 2011, we had the inaugural Out Film Festival, which is an LGBTQ yes. film festival. And the MC who was meant to be there didn't show. So I had to introduce the festival. I'm like, okay. And that for me was like, okay, when I said it, I'm like in front of everyone, like, this is it, Kevin. If anyone comes into the auditorium now, they know this guy. This is, this is you. This is yeah. you. And initially, so it was the Out Film Festival that was my form of um, activism. And then there's another friend of mine, Mwangi. Um, he was also a journalist. And we decided that we are going to use our media platforms, our skills as journalism to make sure that the portrayal of LGBTQ people within our spaces is fair. So it started that way. Um, and then the book... I think the book yes. is the one that just sealed the nail on the coffin. Yeah, no going back. And no going back. I'm like, <laughs> I'm out there, you know. And it was it was actually covered by the BBC. And I'd, just, and I'd left them a year ago. But yet again, it was an honor. You know, it was an honor to write Invisible. I'm just grateful to the people who trusted me with the stories. And I realized then this is my platform, the storytelling, you know, yeah. words, writing about it. Yeah. Um, it was it was small things like that that sort of made me realize that this is who I am. I didn't actively go and say I'm going to become. I just sure. always found myself in that space, and I, I was questioning myself: How did I end up here in 2006? <laughs> I remember when I was it 2006 or 2007. Someone invited me for a lunch, and I walked into this room of other queer people. I'm like, and they were all Kenyan, and we were thinking of how do we set up a movement 
you know, we used to meet on Sundays and I'm like, and it's, it just felt so good, you know, when you're coming from a space or where you see queerness that is usually white and non-Kenyan. And then you're seeing people who have names like Omondi, Zawadi, Mwangi, and they're all queer. And after that, we'll go and catch the bus or the Mathri or we'll walk. You know, it was it was amazing. Yeah. It was amazing. And I remember we were involved in, it was being involved in World's Aid, World, World AIDS Day marches and painting banners. Um, still too scared to go out onto the streets, you know, or just thinking of what we're going to do for the very first Ida Hobbit, which is the International Day Against Homophobia, Biphobia, and Transphobia. And the little things that we did, you know, it was my space. And I think it was that way of me just coming into my own in Kenya, knowing that I can do this in Kenya and I'm not alone. Yeah. yeah. So that helped in just, you know, yeah. next thing I just found myself, oh, I'm here. I'm, I'm organizing. An <laughs> I'm an activist. People are calling you. Yeah, saying, yeah, like, oh, you're an yeah. activist. Oh, yes, I am, <laughs> you know, um, that kind of thing. And 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 then, yeah, slowly just finding myself in wider spaces. Mm. Um yeah. You know, I'm just remembering the beginning of our conversation about what you dreamt, dreamt you would be. I never dreamt <laughs> I'd be an activist. I don't think activist is on the list, but here you are and doing it with with such grace. And I think storytelling in a way is, is a powerful way to do that. There are some of us who march and are, you know, raised fists and there are others who are simply who are telling stories and, and loaning their influence to others, loaning their platform to others, which you have done consistently over and over again. You know, you talk about walking into that room and being surrounded by other Kenyans and feeling that camaraderie and that solidarity and and togetherness that then could motivate you further. There was another article I read where you had you said you had a similar feeling around the court case around 2018 uh, when there when the National Gay and Lesbian Alliance I may be getting the National name. Gay and Lesbian Human Rights Commission. Thank you. Yeah. Um, you know, took a case to court to decriminalize gay sex in Kenya. Um, and you talked about how we queered court that day. And you talked about how in even waiting for the decision, there was this sense of, wow, look at us, we're here. There were rainbow bracelets in the courtroom and there was a sense of looking around and feeling this togetherness. Since that time, the decision was not in favor. The, the, the ruling, uh, the law held, a colonial law, we should point out, held. Um, a few weeks ago here in Kenya, a different ruling was uh, I shouldn't say shot down, was overruled by the Supreme Court, allowing gay and homosexual groups to register officially, which they can now do legally. But there was a lot of backlash in society. We're watching what's happening in Uganda with the current uh, law that's in parliament, has not been signed into law, but an anti-gay, straight out anti-gay <laughs> hate bill, um, which would not allow people to even to identify as gay or a member of the queer community. So what I want to ask you, Kevin, looking at these legal movements is you know queering the courtroom enough is that feeling of togetherness enough because my sense in looking at some of your past interviews is that because when you have been on a journey as yours for so long mm -hmm. and seen Kenya you know maybe so slowly slowly start to soften in some places and individuals soften in some of their rhetoric, that that can feel like a win at times. And you must have to take in the small wins mm -hmm. when you are an mm -hmm. activist, or otherwise I'm sure you would burn out. But I, but I do want to know, you know, is that enough anymore? Um, I think we thought it was enough. You know, we were going down the legal route. We 
got a fantastic constitution that spoke about the rights for everybody. You know, um, not not only thought you know we thought we we thought that we were doing the right thing, and I think we are doing the right thing, following legal process. Yet again, like I said, taking the constitution, but I know it's not the only way. Mm-hmm. What we've seen in the last month shows that we still have a lot of work to do as a movement. To add, um, but it's also frustrating to think that, but we've done so much work in the time that I've been with the movement for 16, 17 years, that it feels like we are taken, we're being taken back. Hmm. You know, arguments from people saying it's an African, hmm. you know, they're recruiting. And those, hmm. those hmm. sentiments like that had died down for the yeah. longest because of the work that colleagues have been doing. You know, there's been a lot of advocacy that has happened in, in the country. And, and the fact that the movement has grown so much the anti-gay, anti-LGBTQ sentiment just t- took me aback and took most of us aback. I'm like, but we've been, but you know, you we've been here, you know, you know of us, you know of the work that we are doing, and and this, you know, um, it is not enough. And I think the thing is, like, we can't do it alone, man. Mm. Like you so said, burnout. This work is tiring. Yeah. And then if you think about it, with the a lot. What's happening in Uganda and especially here in Kenya, where there's so much public hate, it triggered. It triggered, and it, I mean, it triggered. I mean, even I felt started. I started for the very first time. I felt unsafe, hmm. you know, and, and even questioning, Kwani, is this the worst thing that is being done in the world right now? Hmm. It just showed that we have to. They, we quit the courtroom at that time, you know. We took the constitution but it shows that there's still so many there's still other ways that we need to explore we need to go into we need to have homes conversations in homes with people i mean on the way here had a conversation with the with the uber driver and there's a lot of misinformation and disinformation that is happening in there we need to start telling people that we need to we need we as a community also need to be proud of and the African queerness and their queer researchers, their queer theologians, you know, their queer um, uh, academicians, their queer journalists, their queer storytellers. We still need to be telling our stories, not just going down the legal route because the law could rule in our favor, but our work still needs to be done on the streets, at home, in, in educating people, yeah. in the media, in the portrayal of how we are as queer Africans, as queer Kenyans. Mm. you know so the work needs is continuous but it also it's not just enough querying the courtroom and i remember that day lily just the we didn't feel i'm like this is the supreme court we're not the supreme court high court we're here Mm. and everyone knows these guys are here but we didn't and i think because of the sense of community that was there it felt safe yeah it felt safe i'm like we're doing this in one of the um, the arms of government and they know who we are, and we f- and it felt safe. Yes, we didn't. The ruling was not in our favor, but we're like, I can walk through. I've walked to the courts, and they know I'm here for this case, repeal one six two, and it felt safe. And I wasn't alone. There's so many other people. The work still continues. The work still continues. But I keep on saying that's not the only work. Like I said, that mm-hmm. we need to do. We just need to just educate people, create other spaces of safety in homes 
within the police services, within hospitals, within mm-hmm. housing areas, education, the querying needs to go on. You mentioned Uber driver here. I'm just curious, Kevin, how does that come up? Did he recognize you? Or are you just like, hey, bro, I'm going to have an interview. It was <laughs> something he said he read on social media. And I think the journalist... He recognized about, you. No, no, he just, he just you know, okay. small just talk. Yeah, okay. chit chat. It's like, so I asked him, so where did you hear that from? Blah, yeah. blah, blah. And then, you know, and he's like, you know, these people are being paid. I'm like, okay. Uh-huh. It was that. And that's the narrative, yeah. you know, that yeah. people are being paid. I'm like, I almost came out telling both me and me, I'm gay, man. Yeah. Yeah, you know, like I remember challenging him. If if people, that's another story. Yeah. We are long ass story. But I no, but I feel you because you're right. It is it's so it is those small things, and I'm just feeling how this again the safety the safety issue is there, and and where you can feel safe, and you know this this issue of the court cases and the legal piece of it, it is the one the one part of it. You know, there's that piece of it. Then there is the homes and where we live. And you've written so much about, you know, Kenya's relationship with human rights and how rights for gay people will extend to other communities, you know. Talk to us a little bit about how you see the intersection of your rights and my rights. The thing that made me learn about that element of, especially women's rights, you know, was the death of Sheila Lumumba and writing about that. You know, um, the sad thing I learned is that it's not safe for women in Kenya. And that, and I and I keep on wondering why do we hate our why do we hate our women? Because the violence that women have to go through is senseless. Senseless. And and I'm really grateful for the, the women around my life who've made me think about safety and, and the stuff that they have to go through every day because they don't know there's a guy there. You know, I've seen, um, I was walking along processional way here in Nairobi and there's a woman coming up. She crossed the road mm-hmm. until she was past me and then she crossed back. But I'm like, Auntie, but I'm a gay. <laughs> you know, I'm on your side. Yeah. But she doesn't know yeah, that. Doesn't I'm a guy. Yeah. I'm, a, I'm a potential mm-hmm. threat. Mm-hmm. And she was just doing what was best for her safety. You know, the death of Sheila Lumumba just really, and just writing that piece in, in, in media just made me realize how violent it is for women. Where some people think that because I'm a man, I have a right over you, I have a right over your body and how you're going to, pro- and, and how you're going to carry yourself. And if I don't like it, then I am going to correct it. That is wrong. And for me, it was not just, it was not, that was just, it wasn't an attack on, on, on 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 her as on 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 them as a queer person, but as an attack on women. No, things like corrective rape are wrong. You know, and I think that for me was just it really like no, this isn't right. And as I was writing that article, I'm like, wow, Yani, mm. this country does mm. not like its women, mm. and we're not we don't honor the women in this country. We don't mm. create enough safe spaces for women in this country. Mm. And I think as as I as a feminist or pro-feminist, you know, I think it is important for us to speak. I believe in the He For She campaign and we have to speak. It is us men who have to make sure other men are not harming women. We should be the ones calling them out. Mm-hmm. And I'm, and, and I, and for me that it just, it's an, it's the natural thing to do yeah. with, with the work, yeah. you know, cause I, I, I just been fortunate enough to see it and, and mm-hmm. maybe been exposed to it and not forgetting to some people, I'm a man until they know, Oh, he's, 
Mm. He's a gay man. Mm. But the first thing you see is that that, that, that guy's a Jamaat. That guy's a guy. Yeah. Is he safe? If not, we're out. Yeah. You know, so unfortunately, it was the death of Sheila Ramuman writing about that. Just I spoke about it just for me. Like, this is, this is not just about Sheila being a queer person. Yeah. It's about Sheila being a woman and people being threatened by strong women. You know, you, you wrote very powerfully about her. I read what you wrote uh, about them and the elephant, I think it was. We'll make yeah. sure we link that in yeah. the show notes yeah. for this episode. Very powerfully about what her fa- what their family had suffered in Kenya and then what they went on to suffer. And it is so important that all of us who shared the space of being Kenyan do our part to ensure that this country remains safe for all of us. You know, when one rises, we all rise. (laughs) And and people don't know how much violence is meted against women per day. It's a lot. Per day. And they have nowhere to go to. Yeah. Because the spaces that are created to protect them are also not safe for them. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for for that article. It's it's more than one, but we will definitely share it um, when we share this episode out. You know, you you mentioned earlier about cancer giving you a voice. And as we think about all your activism for the queer community, I'm like, I think you had a voice (laughs) already. But then cancer, maybe, I don't know, amplified, changed your voice. Let's talk about what, you know, your journey has been since, is it 2015, 2015, 2016? 2015, 2015. So, you know, you're several years now into it. You've written recently about is relapse the yes, correct term? I, yes, yes. Um, so tell us how you are today, Kevin, and and you know where you are in your in your cancer journey. I'm here. You're here. You know, I'm here. Let me just touch you to say you are here. <laughs> I'm here. I'm yeah. here. I'm I'm here, and I'm grateful. I'm I feel healthy. Sometimes yeah. I do forget. Um, I just anyone who gets diagnosed with cancer and is on treatment, my prayer for them is that that I pray that the treatment is kind mm. to them. Mm. And I take that to myself. It has been mm. kind to mm. me to me because mm. I, I recognize for me, it was, I recognize, um, you know, chemo is hard. Mm. Chemo is hard. Yeah. And for me, I, I, I remember just in my loosely called thing prayer or just offering it out to the universe saying, you know what? I'm not denying that chemo is hard. I'm not saying I don't want side effects. I don't want, no, 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 no. That's not, that's not real. I'm just, I'm just asking for kindness. That was, and that was it. I just asked for kindness, and generally, and and be careful what you ask for, <laughs> because I, I got that. I've gotten kindness. I, this time round, the side effects have not been as severe mm. as it was the first I'm round. So glad to hear that. You know, I can go and get my my treatment on. I usually get it on my shot on Monday, and then the following day, I'm able to go for a walk. Mm. That is something I'm like, wow. Before, you know, I just like, just rest it out, you know, but I'm still able to do a lot of the activities. I'm still able to work. Um, I've been on treatment for like a year now. Wow. Um, it's, it's been interesting, but it's like, I, like, again, like, again, I said, it's, it's been kind, you know, treatment has been kind to me. Um, and I've grown again, yeah. still growing yeah. compared to the first time. And it's interesting. You're saying what voice? I mean, I'm just really grateful. It's given me an even stronger voice. The person sitting with you here was not the same person pre-cancer. How have you changed? I've owned me. I've owned the me. The, and I thought I'd done, I thought I'd done the work. And then, then cancer came in and I recognized you only, we only have this life, Lily. Yeah. 
and and this is the only life I know. I don't know that you know what happens on the other side. If you do, no one's come back to tell us. But I'm just going to live it the best way that I can. Grab every opportunity. I'm saying yes a lot more. Um, I'm being kinder. Um, I'm, I'm 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 willing to explore. I'm willing to learn. I'm willing to grow. Um, there's a lot more groundedness to it. I'm listening to my body more. I'm looking after my body better. Um, and I just feel full. I feel mm. like I'm, I'm mm. like a full individual. Mm. I was reading about something today called uh, during my meditation called shedding. And I like thought, load, I was, load shedding. I hope. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, this is just how every human being should shed, and 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 mm. and, and that's the whole concept of shedding. What do, what don't I need yeah. anymore? And shedding is a sign of growth. Mm. You know, and that is exciting. So mm. there's, there's stuff I know I still need to shed. Stuff that I'm and and, and I'm still growing. Um, and and I don't take it for granted. Some people have had a rough, rough journey with their cancer this is this is my lot this is what yeah. i've been given yeah. and i think this is the platform um and and the thing is with i don't even say day by day i say moment by moment because i could be talking with you like this laughing and then an hour's time i could be struggling with bloat mm-hmm. or something is something's gonna come you know mm-hmm. so i just say it's for me, it's just moment by moment. I'm, mm. How I deal with this is just go through moment by moment that make mm. up the day. Mm. So when the day is done, I'm like, thank you. Yeah. We got through the yeah. day. Yeah. So, But I appreciate the moments. Yeah. Um, so it's given me an appreciation of moments as well and a lot of gratitude. Well, you, you look good. I feel good. Let me just tell you, you Asante. look good. I was, because I've been reading your work, I was looking at some stuff. I'm old, Kev, old Kevo, as you were saying, <laughs> younger Kevo from like 20s, early 2000s. You're looking good. I feel younger. Kevin, yeah, to be honest, you're I feel looking good. absolutely younger. Yeah. Um, the shedding, huh? Yeah, the shedding. Yeah. The shedding. And I'm only carrying what I need to yeah. carry. Mm. And that is a lesson. I'm like, do you do I really need to carry this? Yes. Nah, fam. Yes. You know, this is this is not my deal to this is not my hill to die for. Yes. So me I'm moving on. If nothing else, age will also teach you Where? this is not mine to carry. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but you Gen X is whatever, millennials, <laughs> whatever you guys are, feel free <laughs> to take this. So so let's let's talk, you know, a bit more about, you know, you've written, I think, in the last couple of years very openly about your cancer. You've you've been gracious to share with us your journey. You've talked about your family and how they have been there with you. Um, you wrote beautifully about your dad's passing a few years ago, and I'm sorry for That's your so loss. I've been so touched by just the stories you've told about your family. You know, I want to know them all because you just have seem to have such a beautiful connection. I want to read to you something that you wrote in that letter about your dad and just ask you about it. You, you said about your father um, that grief unearths you, unsettles and unfurls us as humans. It is non-discriminatory. However, it also offers the gift of kindness that balms pain, a compassion that is speechless, exhibited by touch or a look or a simple presence. And even the mountains of bread and packets of milk are languages of kindness. It's beautiful, Kevin, which you wrote in your tribute to your dad and you talked about kindness just now. Tell us, you know, um, what that grief has unearthed in you and, and what role kindness has had in you. To also be kind, to be sensitive to people who are also grieving. Mm. You know, it's an it's a it's an awful journey to be honest. Yeah. You know, but it just also an earth that was it just two we just called my dad Baba. Mm. 
Baba. So when Baba passed on, you know, um, we never expected it. Baba was going to live much longer, but oh, man. It doesn't end. Yeah. But it also, it kind of gets easier as I cry. <laughs> it's the sign of love. You know, it's the sign of love. But they're just lessons because 2021 was a tough year. Uh, 2021 was, 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 was a tough year because it was like every week, it was relentless. Every week. Every week someone was dying. Forgive me if I sound angry. But not at was. all, not at all. Every week from... I think from February, somewhere until I think mid-May or early June, every week someone died. Mm-hmm. And you're like, there are more tears. Mm-hmm. You're like, you're still crying. I'm still, there's Lorna, my friend Lorna mm-hmm. dying. There's, there's Lynn, there's every, Auntie Hope, Baba. I'm like, there's still more. There was still more. I'm like, can this shit end? You know, I told someone, Shukisha, me, I've had it. Mm. You know, my man is over. Mm. <laughs> and mm. they're like, no, we're still going on. But in an earth, I learned that the heart is capable of so much love. You know, even, and there's room for everyone in that. It has a, a depth of love that I never imagined could exist. Because it's like everyone had a little had, mm. had a little piece of my heart. Mm. And that heart got, get, 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 oh, um, was getting picked at every mm. time. And there's, there's, a, there's a hole there. But you do heal, but there's something else here. But the human heart is beautiful. Mm. But it was tough. Mm. It unearthed that, that. But it just showed how I'm capable of loving. Mm. Even though my my dad, we had an interesting relationship with Baba. You know, loved him, loved him. But it just unearthed a sense of pain that I'd never mm. felt before. Mm. Sometimes you almost think you're going mental, mm. you know, and it's small things that would open up the waterworks, mm. you know? Um, yeah. Mm. But just again, if it wasn't for the kindness of people, mm. you know, sometimes that poly feels, yeah, it feels empty, but it just also unearthed how What's the? It made me question. What's the best way I can support other people who are grieving? What is needed? What are your needs? It made me think. It's not just saying, "Pole." What are your needs? You know, and finding out this is who Lily is, and this is I know. Even if here, yeah, I brought you a piece of cake, you know, and I've just left that for you. I'm just gonna sit here, you know, and just be. I remember some friends who said they they bought they bought pack cigarettes for their girlfriend who was you know had lost the mom and like that's yeah because they knew she wouldn't have time to go to the shop and they're like like upstairs your stash yeah. is there so that she could just go and you know yeah. and that is care absolutely that is care yeah. you know so it it, it 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 unearthed that it unearthed the humanity around the humanity in me my vulnerability you know and and during that whole period we didn't Bless my brothers and bless the family. We did not hide what we the grief mm-hmm. that we had. We did not hide it at all. And and I think for my nephew who was around us, and I for me, I was like, I want him to say, I saw my father, his father, you know, they also call him Baba, my brother Herbert, his uncles grieving and not being afraid of their tears. Because that, excuse me, for my friends, that shit was hard. Of course. So that he said that he is never ashamed of his tears as well. 
and tears should not be seen as a sign of weakness. Yeah. We cried because we loved him. It, and, and, and I'm just, yet again, grateful. I remember when, because I'm a believer in gratitude, that time, um, every day I'd give thanks. On the day Baba died, I'm like, wow, how do I even give thanks? Yeah. But I remember something you told me, you know, I got 48 years with my dad. Some people have had less with their parents or with their loved ones. Mm-hmm. I got 48 years. So I'm really grateful for that. Mm-hmm. It, I, it unearthed. I had to go deeper. In all these things that I believe about gratitude, Nini, it forced me to go deeper. Hmm. That's one thing that I think your writing really forces your audiences to do, Kevin, is that it does force all of us to go deeper. Um, I, reading your work caused me to reflect on my own relationship with my parents about what I do with grief, how I carry it, how I don't do express it. So thank you, because I think that... Your own reflection and putting it on public platforms, I think, calls us all to the conversation, calls us all to come and, and think. And, and you often end a lot of your writings with a question, um, which I also appreciate. You know, I, even the most recent thing you wrote, I think, ended with how was your day today or something mm. like that. And it, those questions and those conversations are so important. So thank you. I think especially for us in this continent, um, you give us a place to to explore questions. Um, exactly. Yeah, it's hard to to really to move on from such a profound moment of reflecting on your father and what he's meant to you. But it brings me back to just this idea of storytelling. And you've shared so much of your journey, you know, your family, your life through stories. And you're doing that through Nipe um, Nipe story story as Mm. well. Um, I'm sorry, I'm just snorting all over the place. Rahma, can I have another tissue? (laughs) Um, So let's take a few moments to talk about Nipe's story which feels like maybe um, one of the places that we're going to get to continue to, to journey with you. It's, it's been a platform you've had for mm. several years now. Mm. Um, so tell us about Nipe's story and what you're hoping to do, what you've been doing with that beautiful platform. Nipe's story is my, is my baby. Your baby. It's a passion mm-hmm. project that started in 2017. Um, it's a storytelling podcast that gives um, voice to, um, that gives voice to, short story fiction from Kenya and across the continent. I, I love stories. Mm. I love collecting stories. I love hearing stories. Uh, I love African literature. You know, I love, um, I love being behind the mic and, and, and I enjoyed that. Um, and I love digital editings, you know, so I was at that point, what am I going to do? And, and Nipia's story just felt right in doing it. You know, and I love hearing voices. My background, I studied radio production at university. You have a radio voice, and, but, uh, but also a TV face. Oh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> thank you very much. But radio is still very close to me, mm. Kabisa. You know, and for me, it was just that, the, listening to the variety of, 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 of voices. I used to, as a kid, I used to play with shortwave. Is that right? Yeah, and you're busy scrolling Radio Moscow, Radio China, the BBC, Voice of America. You know, my love for radio went back mm. a long time ago. And my supervisor at uni used to, used to tell us that... Um, the images you create in, in the in the listener's mind through radio, through the spoken word, are a lot more colorful than what you actually see. hundred percent, yeah. You know, and that's why I'm like, and I wanted to I wanted to continue creating beautiful pictures in people's minds. You know, and and Nipe's story has given me that opportunity. So um it's been a journey. So sometimes it's been really hard, you know, just putting it together. But I can't believe we're, we're, the, the podcast is five years old. 
Wow, congratulations. Um, and and the, the thing is, Lily, I get excited. I yeah. still get excited. Yeah. You know, I this is really sad. Um <laughs> but I can seem I can I can I can be editing a piece, so I'm just listening to a piece that's just been read and I end up clapping. You're like that was fantastic. That's, that's fantastic. You know, I I'm like, wow. Yes, you know, yeah. and I can't wait to share that. And it's I'm just grateful that Nipper's story still excites that's me. That's awesome. When you read yeah. something and like, I really want to produce this, and then you mm. get a voice artist who does an excellent job. You're like, oh, Wow. Yeah. Okay. So for people who are maybe new to Nipe, where should they start? Give them, can you give them an episode or two where you point to, it's completely unfair. So long as you tell me which is your favorite child. I'll tell you off off, off mic. I'll tell you off mic. I'm not going that way. You know, all, all I think 92 episodes are really all good. Right. Right. You know, it's like a library, to be honest. Yeah. I look at yeah. Nipe's story as a library it of is stories. a living library. Yeah, you pick the one that you enjoy, but they're just such beauty. And I'm also learning through Nipe's mm. story. I'm also learning about people's writing styles. I'm learning about different cultures, you know. I'm learning about different uh, different parts of Africa, as yeah, well, yeah. you know. So I'm, 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 I'm learning. I'm listening. I'm enjoying. I'm being entertained through Nipe's story, and it is a podcast that has made me grow as an individual, as a storyteller. And yet again, I'm still being a custodian of people's stories. Yeah, back to your roots. But back to that, you know. And I'm back to audio, which is yeah. which is beautiful. Um, so for me, Nipe's story has just it's given me the continent. Plus, one of the things I'm really proud of with Nipe's story is that it gives me the opportunity to talk about African queer fiction. You know, I don't think there's anyone else doing it as far as I know. But it also for someone who's listening to yeah. a, a young queer person has an opportunity to say, this is what our loves can be. Absolutely. And and the people and the people who've written about queer fiction have from stories like the Jambula Tree and there's man across the bridge. There's a way that this person depicted the intimacy between the two individuals. Are like, oh wow, yeah, yeah, in a very earthy, and they were making love in in the in the fields. I'm like, okay, didn't yeah. see that coming. Yeah, but yeah. it and for someone who is struggling with their identity, I'm like, yeah, but I can, I may not be there, but I can imagine. Yes what African queer love is. And it's, and it's exciting to see through Nipe's story the different ways that it has been told. Absolutely. So I'm just really proud of the fact that Nipe's story is, 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 is an opportunity for African queer fiction. As you should be, because, you know, there was, a, there was a day and age where in films, you know, and I'll speak more to like the, the film in the U.S., where like it was always the black best friend or the gay best friend, and they were only the side character. And in the last few years, we've seen them slowly start to come to like the main characters, but it's been so slow and it's still not quite there. Mm. And so now when you look at something like Nipe's story, giving a platform where a queer love story is, you maybe wonder we just take the queer out, it's just a love story. It's just a, it's love, just a love story. story. Yeah. And people can experience that as they would any other piece of fiction writing. It's so, so important. Like when I read uh, Jambula Tree, I'm like, oh. Mm. And it was won a the way Kane that, Prize? Yes, for the Wayne yeah. Prize. You yeah. know, uh, Monica uh, Arach Denyako, you know. I'm like, oh, wow. And yeah. like, we have a place here. And I was just so, I was so fascinated by yeah. that. Yeah. And I think that's, it's a subtle way of, of showing that 
of, of, of showing inclusiveness. Absolutely. Even Absolutely. in the world of fiction. And I'm just glad that Nipe Story is an inclusive space. Uh, I'm just looking for more stories from the continent as well. Okay, so please. people can reach yeah. out and submit Cabeza. to you. Yes, Fantastic. Please. We'll again be sure to share all of that with everyone in the show notes. So Kevin, we've been so generous to have so much of your time. I just have a few more Come questions for you. Okay, yeah. great. Everyone can stay till tomorrow. Great. Everyone just get cozy. <laughs> <laughs> Only eight to ten more questions. Just kidding. Um, so I, I do want to just revisit one or two things. Um, you know, we have been, you said once, and I, and I think it might be an interesting way to, to kind of dovetail this Nipe story and thinking about storytelling. You've also talked about how, you know, one of Kenya's national languages is silence. So as you have been creating platforms for both nonfiction through your journalism work and fiction, do you still believe that? We're fluent in silence here I'm, in our Kenya. I must that I picked up from um, Yvonne Awar okay. in her book Dust. Uh, yes, okay. That that yeah that, that, that sorry I forgot to correct that that is yes. that is not for me. I, that is that is Yvonne's quote. And and when I saw that I'm like yes, mm. it's true, you know. And 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 maybe most recently for me it was just shocking how there was silence from from allies. You know, people were silent. But yet again, I think as 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 a people, generally sometimes we're just very passive aggressive. Where we don't want to offend, we'll just keep quiet. You know? Um, so that is a thing I've struggled with, especially now having gone to school, uh, having just found my voice where, it, yeah, struggling why people just don't speak out a lot more. It, 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 it frees you. At least it makes me know what your opinion is. You know, so I think as a country, we 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 we're told ah, just get on with it. Mm. You know, um, what's there's a Swahili word I'm trying to look for. Ah, the familiar almost just just get on with it. You know, mm. don't mm. complain. Eh? Mm. Uh, that's a phrase I really don't like uh, that people use these days. It's it's just the way things are. Yeah, it is what it is. It is, it is. That's, that's, that's the one. The one that's it is what it is. Yeah. I'm like, no, fam, yeah. <laughs> it's not because yeah. it forces you to stay there without even looking at ways to try and fix it yeah. or change yeah. it. So you become silent. And I think that just diminishes you as an individual because you become smaller and smaller. And someone who was very silent about their sexuality or even about my personality, I almost disappeared. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, that's so important because I think I'm a mother. I have four kids, four beautiful children, 20, 18, 18, and 15. And, you know, as I think about the world that they're entering and the silence that's there, one thing we know about for sure is that that silence is where some of those voices arise, like you mentioned in your own path, that question, you, you question your humanity, your worth. And we're seeing in this generation of young people rising rates of mental health crises. We're seeing rising rates of self-harm. We're seeing rising rates, you know, of, of, of suicide. And when we look at that data around queer kids, it it's through the roof. And you can't help but be absolutely shattered and worried about that community. And, you know, you, you've talked about some of the young people you met on your path you know if you could go back in time you know what what what's a message you might say both to yourself as a young queer person and and talk to those young queer people who might be listening today and to also the people in their community who are around them that they need to know about those young people to break that silence it's interesting i mean to to the to the younger person i'm actually working on an article to my younger self mm. factoring everything that's happened 
the one thing I'd tell myself is there's nothing wrong with you. And there's nothing wrong in how you feel and the way you love. It's who you are. And do not be afraid of your voice. That is one thing I'll tell myself. To to any young person there who is, I just want to broaden it, to be honest. Lee. Sure. And I'll tell you why. And, and, and the work that I that I do is not just for young people. It's for anyone who struggled, struggling with their sexuality or gender identity. You know, and I keep on, and, and, and I've really struggled people saying, oh, it's the young people. Sometimes I feel the young people are okay. <laughs> they might be more, you're so uh, right. Yeah. You know, they've got <laughs> access to the internet. More, they've grown, they? yeah, you yes. mean they're seeing a lot more representation. They're seeing yeah. more black, um, um, is it BIPOC, um, BIPOC, you know, black. Um, yes, uh, indigenous, people, people of color. People of color, yeah. they're seeing more, sorry, excuse yeah. me. They're seeing more people of color on yeah. TV yeah. in spaces that I predominantly they were not able to access. Right. You know, so they, they know who they are. Mm. And I keep on saying we're missing, I, I believe we're missing, we're missing, we're missing the bus, we're missing a point because the young people and how they've been brought up are able to see themselves. Absolutely. During the World Social Forum in 2007, a young boy, we had this tent called the G-Spot that we'd been given. It was, I think it was the first outing of the movement. Okay. There was a young boy who said he saw us on TV. He came from Narok. He said, I've come all the way because I saw on TV that there were people like me. Wow. And young people are finding people like them. A lot of these spaces are online. So there's a part of me that's not worried because there is, they're building spaces of community online yeah you know um but silence is they're not finding us older people safe hmm. for them so there's a chasm there so my message primarily is to the parents speak to your kids create spaces for them to be themselves or else you're going to bury your kids you're going to lose your kids because you have not created spaces of safety for them. You have not created spaces of safety for them to flourish. But these are your kids. There's a young man whom I'm mentoring. And he just, we speak like we're friends. And he's like, how can you be the same age of my folks? And I can talk to you about everything. Mm -hmm. His parents are slowly coming along the way, mm -hmm. you know. Um, but it's that whole thing, safety. Safety. Yeah. And the work that we do is not just for young people. I keep on saying, I'm... I'm really not worried about the young people it's my generation that i'm worried about where we think oh it's the kids i'm worried about the guy who's my age who's still in the closet who has never known love yeah and he's a father how is this guy gonna create a space of safety if he has been denied love if he has been he has been denied the opportunity to he or she or a mother who has never been able to be in a space where they can be themselves to to get the love that they really want and my openness is part of that as well. I'm not the only guy who's 50 and gay in Kenyan. I'm sure there are other folk. I mean, people are worried about their kids, yes, but I'm also worried about that guy who is struggling every day or guy or girl who is in a loveless marriage because that's what society, they, they, they bow down to, the, to the, the pressures from society to conform. But I also want to tell them you are also beautifully and wonderfully made and your love is real. Mm -hmm. You know, and I write for that audience as well, you know, for my contemporaries who are in that space, mm -hmm. who, for those who don't know how to bring up even kids who are queer, 
You know, that is, and people, that is part of the work that we, the Kenyan movement or the movements across the continent are doing, creating spaces of love. Yeah. So that people can love and live in, in and accommodate diversity, you know. So to the parents, man, love yourselves. Show your kids what true love is by loving yourself. Yeah. And if there's an opportunity to go and get the love that you want to do, and your kids will understand. I have friends who've come out to their kids and their kids are like, good for you. And there's no judgment and there's no judgment and their relationships have even grown to the point that, ah, go get yourself a girlfriend or boyfriend, you know, go be who you are. And I think we forget that it's a two-way street, oh. you know, that acceptance, that respect, that love flows down two ways. Love is love, yeah. you know. Um, and those parents who are bringing up queer kids, you're not alone. You know, there are, other, there are other parents who are in the same boat and love your child because that's all they need. Love your child and create a space of safety for them. You know, and yet again, I fall down to that person who, young, young person, I just want to say you're beautiful, man, woman, them. You are beautiful the way you are. Love yourself more and spread love. That sounds like the perfect place to kind of pause and, and thank you for joining us today. Um, I'm, I'm emotional because it's just, you've brought us to exactly where we needed to end, love. Love is where this conversation started and, and talking about celebrating 50 years and gratitude that you were feeling. And love, I hope, is what everyone feels when they hear your voice, Kevin. And the custodianship that you've had of people's stories in your path as an activist, as you're journeying through cancer, you know, you are both a conduit of love, a giver, and I pray that you'll receive abundant, abundant love in this next season of your life and wherever 51, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7 and on take you. Um, I pray that abundant love will, will find you. Before we let you go, we always ask our guests two questions. Okay is our standard kind of farewell. And the birds are chiming in to give you answers, apparently, <laughs> and the roosters today. So <laughs> everyone will know this took place in Africa because of hey. the roosters and the birds. So, Kevin Machiro, what is your favorite drink? Oh, wow. <laughs> Non-alcoholic or alcoholic? Do I Listen, get let's do both. Let's okay. do both. Let's keep it fun. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I've realized one of the things I really got into learn is um, hibiscus juice. Oh, love biscuits or too. You know, yes. or it's called bisap. It's called in West Africa. Um, what's it called in the Caribbean? Anyway, hibiscus. You know, in Ghana juice. they call it red red. No, red red is another dish. Is that's that another, a that's, that's a dish. That's, that's not the that's drink. The, no, I, well, Why? I know red my red was will that. Kill me. Um, Let's delete that out of the podcast, yeah, yeah. guys. <laughs> I know bisap, um, hibiscus juice. Yeah, I love, I hibiscus. love yeah, hibiscus juice. Yeah. Really enjoyed. I wish I had it more. Um, and then um, I'm, a, I'm a sucker for. Red wine. Well, you keep it red, huh? I keep it red. You keep it red. I agree. Red and, and, and funny enough, it's the thing that even with treatment, it's the one thing that has agreed, agreed with my body. Okay. Uh, a little so, kindness there yeah, for you. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's red wine. <laughs> the birds and, and are bisab. Yeah. Bisab. Okay. And then we just want, we always want to know, you know, Salam and Hello is a show about joy and justice from Africa and diaspora. So, Kevin, what is bringing you joy today? Ah, that's a nice question. What is bringing In spite of everything, in spite of everything, man, this continent still brings me joy. Mm. 
Can't even help yourself, can yeah, you? Yeah, I mean, it's, 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 you know, it's, it's just, Africa brings me joy. It just gives me so much happiness that we still believe. We still believe. We still believe in us and we know who we are. And there's still hope. Despite, you know, there are lots of bad days, but the fact that we have not given up on this continent, I have not given up on this continent, even though it frustrates me. Our stories as Africans bring us brings me joy. Thank you so much for being here, for bringing your stories, for bringing all of who you are. It's been an honor. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Asante. Asante, sir. Yeah. And listeners, I, I hope you've enjoyed this hour as much as we have. We will definitely post in the show notes all the ways that you can find Kevin's just incredible portfolio of work. We will link it all below. And as always, please just leave us five stars. Don't think about it. Just go on there, <laughs> rate us five stars, subscribe, follow, review, and reach out. We'd love to hear from you. Send us a DM, send me an email, lily at salam and hello, S-E-L-A-M and hello.com. And we would love to hear with you from you. And until then, uh, next time, we, you know, peace, be well. We'll see you soon. Every time you smile, summer in your eyes.